Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Brighter Lens. For today's episode, we chatted with Isabel Sandoval. She's the director, writer, producer, editor, and actress of her recent feature film, Lingua Franca. Isabel is a U.S.-based filmmaker who has written and directed three features. Her recent feature, Lingua Franca, premiered at the Venice International Film Festival, where she became the first trans woman director to compete at the festival. The film stars Isabel Sandoval, Lynn Cohen, and Eamon Farron, and it's available to stream now on Netflix. Enjoy our conversation with Isabel. So Isabel, thank you so much for joining us today. We are really looking forward to talking with you. And for our listeners who haven't yet watched the film, which is out on Netflix and they should watch it as soon as possible, could you just start by giving us a synopsis of your film? Sure. First, hi Larkin, hi Jennifer. Thanks for having me and hi everyone. So Lingua Franca is about Olivia, an undocumented Filipino trans woman who works as a caregiver to an elderly Russian Jewish lady in Brooklyn, New York. And Olivia, who's pursuing a path to citizenship, becomes romantically involved with the adult grandson of the elderly lady. His name is Alex, and he happens to be a slaughterhouse worker. So Lingo Franca is a bit of a mix of the social social issue drama and the romance a tentative romance between Alex and Olivia. Tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind the story of the film. We know it's a very personal film. Sure. Uh, So after I finished my second feature, I transitioned. And so I started writing the script for Lingua Franca. And back then, it was really a more straightforward romantic drama uh, where the main source of conflict was Alex not being initially aware that Olivia was trans. And then the 2016 presidential election happened, Trump got elected, and I felt like I was plunged into some some sort of existential crisis. I was feeling paranoid and worried and just anxious about what's going to happen. And that was when the premise of Lingua Franca really came together in that it combined my experience of transitioning from male to female, but also a distillation of my emotional state around that time. And yeah, I tend to have stories about women who are forced to make intensely personal choices in fraught sociopolitical settings and that's how the story came, story came together. I'm wondering a little bit about how how did you discover the characters of Olga and Alex combined with, you know, Olivia, who maybe shares more personal relationship to you? How did you kind of meld all of those characters and find them for this script? Um, I feel like um, having made three films, 
they tend to center on three characters. There's usually the two main characters who are either romantically involved with each other or are intimate in some sort of way and an older, wiser character who may be benevolent like Olga or more sinister like in my first movie, Senorita. And I think those are just the kinds of characters and character dynamics that I gravitate towards. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, when kind of reading about your film and your work, uh, we were struck by the title of the film, yeah. Lingua Franca, and, and the meaning of that after seeing the film. Could you speak a little bit about how you found that as the title? Sure. Um, first reason is I thought it sounded quite elegant, to be honest, <laughs> and sophisticated. <laughs> um, the second is it's meant ironically in the film. Although the dictionary definition of lingua franca is shared or bridge language, which in the U.S., that would be English between immigrants. In the film, what is actually most important is what is left unarticulated and what is left unsaid, which also very much captures my sensibility as a director. I'm more of a visual director and I like to show more instead of telling. And some people may think I do that to a fault, but it's an invitation to viewers to really pay attention, uh, not just to the dialogue, but to the pauses and the silences in between. What are some of the ways that you've kind of developed that visual language for yourself? My main influences as a filmmaker have been art house European directors like Ingmar Bergman, for instance, uh, Persona, is a major influence. There's also Cries and Whispers, Wild Strawberries. Also Michael Haneke, who did Amour, The Piano Teacher. But then I'm also influenced by the more lyrical, sensual, poetic filmmakers like Wong Kar Wai. And as a matter of fact, in Lingua Franca, I feel like it's a combination of those two sensibilities. One that is a little and more cerebral, the austere naturalistic shots where we're just observing the characters perform their daily rituals at home. And these interludes that are definitely more sensuous and languorous, like the love letter scene, the reading of the love letter that morphs into a fantasy sequence for Olivia as she pleasures herself. Um, building on that, a little bit more nitty gritty question. We read that your initial budget for the film was $1.5 million and you, I, I'm not sure if this is completely true, but you brought it down to like $500,000 yeah. to retain that creative control. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that decision and, and how that kind of played out as you made your movie? Yeah, um, I knew from the get-go that we didn't need 1.5 million to make this movie. And I thought, because when you're reading the budget, I saw there were just some line items that were totally superfluous, like a big, a special catering, 
table and whatnot that would be better suited to studio productions. And when I asked the producer to put that together, she couldn't really give a straight answer why we needed that. So I was able to talk the team into bringing it down to 500K, which is, or a little under 500K, which is the perfect balance, I think, between having a budget that was just low, high enough so that everyone, the cast and crew, got paid and got paid decently. And even for the likes of Eamon Farron, who was in The Witcher, Twin Peaks, The Return, they, and everyone else like Lynn Cohen, they were paid scale, really, because they wanted to work on the project because they loved the script and they loved the material. And so just high enough to you know, pay everyone, but also low enough that I can really have creative freedom and autonomy in pursuing my artistic vision for the film. And yeah, that that was really why I really pushed to get that budget down to that level. And now that the film has traveled, you know, quite widely and is doing pretty well since its Netflix premiere, I feel vindicated <laughs> by that decision. Um, and kind of along those lines of, of that vision and creative control, we saw, I mean, we know that you directed, produced, starred in it, and maybe also edited it. Yes. Okay, that's amazing. <laughs> um, just if you could speak a little bit to what that experience was like, having all of those roles, and specifically also what it was like for you to direct yourself on set. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't find any of it intimidating or daunting. I think it's because I always had a very clear idea of what I wanted to capture on film and the story that I was telling. And so by taking on those hats and those roles, which I consider to be the five main creative roles that would make sure that I translate my vision from the, from the page to the screen, faithfully it was just it came effortlessly and easily and when you think about it like the lead character and the work of a writer director tends to be an alter ego or a double so to speak but also particularly in this for this role for olivia although it's not autobiographical this is a character that i've lived with for a little over two years you know i wrote her and I feel like there's also, certainly because I wrote it, there is a certain emotional and psychological truth and a part of me that's in her. And it made sense for me to play the role. Um, I think the main protagonist, especially if the main protagonist is the emotional center of the film, can really set the tone and mood of the whole piece. And that's why I also decided to play Olivia. Yeah, and jumping off of that, it, it obviously was such a personal story that you were so invested in. How did you go about casting the role of um, Alex with Eamon Farron? Yes, so Eamon, who was amazing in Twin Peaks The Return by David Lynch, although he played really a typical villain in that I thought he had a very interesting character actor 
quality to him. You know, he's not a bland, generic, pretty boy type, but he has a combination of intensity and vulnerability and unpredictability and a sense of erotic danger, so to speak, so that you'd, you're not really sure what exactly you're going to be getting or what he's going to do in this scene or the next. And I thought that would be perfect for, for Alex. So we sent out an offer to his manager and he and I Skyped. He was in London, I was in New York. And I thought he was really great. So he got on board, but we didn't actually meet for the first time until a week and a half before we started shooting. Wow. Yeah. But we cast him a year before. How or how have you experienced sort of reactions to the film? Your film was screened at a number of film festivals and now it's streaming on Netflix to a wide audience. What has that all been like yeah. for you? Yeah. I mean it's been really quite the roller coaster ride. You know, this is Lingua Franca's a bit of a gamble in terms of a Filipino film because the typical art house Filipino film, especially in the last 15 years, is a kind of gritty social realist docudrama where the camera work is usually handheld. It's a bit like the Dardenne brothers um, from Belgium. And so, and it sometimes gets slapped a label and I hate to use the term poverty porn because you know it's about characters living in squalor and slums in the Philippines and it, it can be a bit exploitative and in fact when the pre film premiered in Venice one of the initial creative views was saying that oh this should be more like that kind of movie because I am really trying something different although on paper it sounds like a textbook social issue drama I think it's a lot more lyrical and sensual and delicate than that. And so I feel like as the movie started playing more festivals, the reception has really gotten warmer and people are really appreciating the work for what it is and what it's trying to do separate from the rest of other Filipino films, yeah. Yeah, and I guess like ultimately, what would you like audiences to kind of come away with after watching Lingua Franca? Yeah, I wanted to make a film that haunts and lingers. You know, it's very important. You know, there's a lot of talk of diversity and representation. And for a film that touches on the issues that it does, like immigration and the transgender experience, some audiences would typically expect a film that might be a little didactic or preachy or loud or even indignant, but Lingua Franca is far subtler and more quiet and patient. It's a different kind of film and that can unsettle and surprise people. So that's why I want the film to invite and compel people to think more deeply and more critically about someone like Olivia and about the themes that the film explores. It doesn't, I'm not trying to provide easy answers for complicated questions in the film because these issues are complicated and remain unsolved. They're, they're systemic. And, but I do want to ask thought provoking questions and 
you know, have characters and situations that linger in the minds of audiences and hopefully get them to empathize and see the world through the eyes of someone like Olivia. Yeah, what struck me about watching it was just like, it just required, it required me to pay attention, Yeah, which I think that's not always a given, yeah. you know, when watching something and yeah, it, it really, it has lingered with me, so. Good. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Works. Cool. Well, we end every interview as well with our lightning round. Yeah. Basically, we have three short questions for you, okay. and you can answer in a word or phrase. Okay. So um, we call it three, two, one action. So we'll start with three. Your what is your favorite film? Clue. Two. A dream person you want to work with. Paul Thomas Anderson. And one, uh, the best advice you've received? Take a risk. And last, action, where can people follow you on social media? Um, I am on Instagram and Twitter, and my handle is at Isabel, that's my first name, I-S-A-B-E-L, the letter V as in Victor, and then Sandoval, my last name, so at, at Isabel V. Sandoval on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Wow. Such a delight to chat with you. Thank Likewise. you. Likewise. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You can find us at abrighterlens.com and at abrighterlens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at abrighterlens at gmail.com. You can download the show wherever you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos were designed by Meg Cafferty. Our associate producer is Elise Welch. A Brighter Lens was created by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell. 